Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. And I'm Best Boy Justin. And we are here to talk about the all-powerful student council in anime. That's right, Best Buds. The most powerful force in all of anime, the student council. It's like, if, you know how everyone always has, like, the conversation of, like, who would win versus Goku? If it's student council in anime versus Goku, it's student council every yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Even if Goku is in the student council, the student council wins. Absolutely. That might be a paradox. Um, but, yeah, first we got a little bit of uh, banter, followed by uh, a whole bunch of fun news for you today. And then we'll tell you all about some student councils. Um, up first, I had a shower thought that I just had to, like, get out. Is the Super Mario Brothers movie an anime? No. No, why not? Because it's not. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> but, it's, it, it's not made in, it's not made in the anime style. It's not made in Japan by a Japanese animation company, which is what makes an anime. Okay, fair enough. But I, mean, I just had to ask the question. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna say the Super Mario Brothers is uh, movie is anime, then you would be saying like I don't know, like Danny Phantom is anime. I I'm not even familiar with Danny Phantom. It's a show on Cartoon Network. Ah, uh, is it anime? No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, so I was just, you know, it was a shower thought. I was thinking because it, Nintendo is a Japanese company, Mario is a Japanese property. Um, I guess it's, I think it's Illumination who's the studio, which is not Japanese, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, not an anime, but just a weird shower thought. <laughs> also, they ruined Mario's bubble butt. Yes, I'm glad that that is the biggest um, scandal on the internet this week. Man, followed closely by the <laughs> fact that Chris Pratt <laughs> doesn't talk like Mario. There's like a little bit of a Brooklyn accent, but yeah. I definitely don't want to get into it on this podcast. We, uh, we could go for hours. <laughs> uh, what I do want to talk about is how I went to New York Comic Con this weekend. Cool. Um, and it was, uh, that's why this podcast is coming out a little bit late. Um but uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, they had a Gundam base there, which I was not expecting. Did you know about this, Best Boy Justin? I did, yes. They did the same thing at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, it was really cool. They had a big RX-78 statue. Um, they had a whole bunch of like limited edition uh, Gundam base like colors. They had the... Um, uh, turn A Gundam oh, uh, Master Grade, which I, I really wanted to get because I love the like two scale cow mm -hmm. um, figure. <laughs> Did you get it? Uh, no, no. I The only ones I got were I got an Ecopla Master Grade Exia, mm -hmm. um, which is really cool because it'll fill out my Gundam 00 Master Grade set. Uh, and the colors are super dope. It's like black and uh, like really vibrant purples yeah the eco plot like colors accents. are really good um i was really tempted to get the uh, entry grade rx78 eco plot they had there too but i decided not to oh i didn't um, know they did one for the entry grade that's cool yeah it's kind of like a like tan colors because mm. well, um, i mean the whole point of the eco plot is like theoretically they're for people who are going to paint it anyway but i think some of the colors that they come in are already pretty rad Oh, yeah, I'm definitely not changing the Exia at all. Um, but the other one I got was the God Gundam, 
Um, uh, there's yes. a different booth. I went to Galactic Toys booth, um, which they have a great online store. Check them out. Uh, not affiliated, but uh, they had <clears throat> the RG God Gundam, which has been getting great reviews, and I'm really excited to build. Neat. Yeah, I so hope I they have, that up. I hope they have a Gundam base at Anime NYC. That'd be cool. Yeah. No, definitely be cool. Um, I'm. I'm. It made me excited for Anime NYC. It was interesting. I haven't been to New York Comic Con in a while, so it was interesting to see how it's changed. Um, kind of uh, on this end of the pandemic and. Uh, you know, like there was like mask rules, but that was widely unenforced. Um, that was interesting. There was also like a really big influx of like streetwear brands. Um, there was just like a lot of like streetwear stalls that took up very large sections of space. Mm -hmm. Um, they still have like a comic section. Javits has also changed a lot. Um, they kind of like re-did the whole convention center, so the layout's very different now. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't a ton... The one thing I was kind of looking out for was, like, what's the big anime cosplay right now? Yeah. Um, like, anime NYC last year, it was, like, definitely Tokyo Manji. Yeah. Um, like, they were everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there were a few this year. <clears throat> Not a ton of them. Um, but you know, that there, that was definitely represented. Uh, one of my favorites I saw was there was like a really good crossplay of like Hal's moving castle, like the main male and female protagonist. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a few chainsaw mans. There was a, a, a one really good one. Um, but I would say out of everyone, the like most common thing I saw was power from chainsaw man, mm. which makes sense. She's a pretty easy person to cosplay as it's kind of just adding like double horns and wearing a white shirt. I'm surprised there weren't a lot of grown up Nezuko's. Yeah. I mean, there were like a few Nezuko's here and there. Um, if there wasn't like any one specific thing that there were a lot of, um, I sure. expect that will change come, anime nyc like i i feel like we'll see some a real standout uh from this season mm -hmm. being represented yeah i was thinking about maybe putting together a fire force cosplay for the anime nyc because all i really you should do it all i would really need would be like the orange jumpsuit and the patches because i already have the hat so. do it we'll see um best person cats uh been talking about doing uh dragon maid cosplay yeah she was telling me uh, she was thinking of uh thinking about doing it for anime or not anime, for comic-con but i don't think you guys had enough time we so that was uh something interesting we looked for like um cosplay uh shops at uh comic-con which is usually something they have like mm -hmm. where you can get wigs or you know um makeup or uh um the things you put in your eyes <laughs> that change contacts. the color contacts that's a word i know mm -hmm. Um, so they didn't have any there. I was really surprised. I'm very surprised by that. Interesting. <clears throat> it's a lot more commercial, I would say, than it used to be. There's much fewer of those sorts of, like, kind of niche stalls. Yeah, I, I've never been to Comic-Con, but that's what I've heard, you know, from people who have gone in recent years that it's not, like, it's not as, like, like, kind of punk as it used to be, you know? Yeah, Which, um, but still definitely fun. I, I would recommend it to people. I think you would definitely have a good time. I, I think you should go next year. I wanted to go, but I figured like I would rather save all my, my money for Anime NYC. 
you yeah, know because um, i was like yeah, yeah we're gonna we're gonna have fun at anime NYC oh yeah for sure Absolutely. come come see us come see the best buds at anime nyc yeah we're we're gonna talk about that a little bit later as well yay um but yeah that's cool um i'm excited you for, had what you had an adventure this week too did i have an adventure this week yeah what did I, I believe it was this week. Didn't you go see uh, some fun Gundam stuff? Oh, no, that was last week. That was last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, the week before, technically. Um, but it's been since our last episode, yes, I have had a, 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 an adventure. And um, <laughs> my that's why my banter is all Gundam all the time. Um, I'm talking Truly about all the Gundam. Yeah, I know. Super <laughs> out of character for me, I know, right? Um, no, I went to go see Cuckoo's Dones Island, uh, as I mentioned on the last episode. Um, it was really, really, really good. Um, it was actually so good it made me sad because, <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why I put it that way is because like they they will they 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 will never give. I, I would be very surprised if they ever gave the early UC story from Mobile Suit Gundam the same treatment that they gave Cuckoo's Dones Island. Like the, like the, the, the animation and the graphics were just amazing. Like the mobile suit designs were really, really good. Um, they were all like fully updated, really cool looking. Um, the fight scenes were just really, really well done. Um, and one, one of the things I remember what I, what I told you when I came back from it, uh, the thought that I had was cause they, they released the, um, the Cuckoo's Dones Zaku, and the movie version of the RX-78 uh, as P Bandai kits. And I was like, man, I can't believe they didn't do a they didn't do a gun cannon kit. Um, and then like literally the day after I said that, they announced that they were gonna do not only are they doing an HG Cuckoo's Dones Island version gun cannon kit, um, it's gonna be regular release, so it won't even be P Bandai. Wow. That's yeah. nice. So I'm super excited for that. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, guess what? You can't anymore. Um, but I imagine it will <laughs> ever, ever, <laughs> ever. No, Crunchyroll will release it at some point, probably in the winter season, um, with the rest of their releases. Um, and I highly recommend you watching it. Um, even, you know, if you have like kind of an understanding of the story of mobile suit Gundam, even if you never watched the originals, you'll be able to kind of pick up what's going on. Um, I did think some of the editorial choices were really there's interesting. There's a kukuru, there's yeah. a dome, there's, an, there's island. an island. Um, some of the things that they did do really well this time around was um, getting the kind of emotional weight on the various characters uh, to come across. So, like, you have Bright, who was 19 in the um, in the anime, but he's 25 in the movie now. Um, they updated it. Um, and he's, like, kind of dealing with the fact that he's, like, like, he's supposed to be, like, this military commander, but the people under him are literally children. And, like, he's, like, trying to balance, like, being, you know being a commander with like dealing with like these children who respond to things the way children do because they're children. Um, and you also see like, uh, Amuro kind of dealing with the effects of PTSD that he has gained from being a child soldier. Um, should probably just slap it out of him. Yeah. Right. Um, no, cause you do, you do see that he, 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 cause this takes place after the slap incident. Um, but you see him thinking about it and talking about it and like regretting that he had done it, but like also like kind of with the understanding that he, you know, he's not, he's not fully equipped to be like a father figure for any of these children, you know? 
Um, so I thought the kind of emotional weight of the show came across in a much more mature and interesting way. Um, also, I'm surprised. Go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> Do you think that uh, people who have not watched the show could watch the movie? I think so. Um, if you, as long as you have a, like just kind of an understanding of what happens in the show. So, like, if you're familiar with the idea of the fact that there's like a war between, you know, the Federation and Zeon. And like, kind of, who just like, like a, a a basic understanding of who the good guys, quote unquote, and the bad guys are. Um, you'll probably be fine. Um, I would say I wouldn't if you hadn't seen the movie. If you hadn't seen the show, I wouldn't have recommend like going out of your way to see the movie in theaters. But like, if it once it comes out for streaming, yeah, definitely it's worth the even even if just for nothing else than to see the really cool battles because um, the battles are really well done. Um, Listen, I like a good a good giant robot battle, and you will be very satisfied by this one. Also, the 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 main villains they have like their special so like the the bad guy unit they're like the Southern Cross uh, unit, and they use these like high mobility Zaku's with this like desert paint job, um, and they all have like custom weapons. And I am very surprised that they haven't even announced that they're doing some kind of kit. For that because like those would be really good as gunplay kits um well maybe maybe you putting it out into the world will make it happen tomorrow yeah right tomorrow we'll wake up like southern cross kits announced we'll see um but anyway moving on from kukuru's Dones island because i have more gundam stuff to talk about um last episode we also talked about the fact that gundam evolution the new video game was coming out um, it is out now. It has been out for about two weeks, and I've been playing it. It had a rocky start. There were a lot of issues with matchmaking. Um, I, the first night that I played, I was only able to play a couple matches because what would happen was the servers were really unstable. So I would get into a match, and then um, because the servers were unstable, it would disconnect me from the match, right? But the system would read it as me having left the match early, and it would give me a leaving penalty. Um so, like, at first it was fine. It was, like, two minutes. And I was like, okay, fine. And then the next one, five minutes. I was like, okay, sure. And then the third time it happened was 30 minutes. And I was like, okay, well, now I can't play. Um, so, but they fixed that. Um, that has been fixed. There were some problems where, like, people were just getting, like, teams were so mismatched. Like, there was never, like, a competitive game. So, like, you know, one team would just steamroll the other team every single match. And sometimes it would be your team and sometimes it wouldn't. And it kind of sucked. Um, but they fixed that also. Um, the other thing I did want to talk about, though, that, you know, obviously is not going to be fixed is the gotcha system. Because the gotcha system in this um, game is really intense. It is designed to make you spend money. And the the way that the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, you have a set, you know, you have the, the set Gundams that you come that come unlocked already. But if you want to unlock other mobile suits, there are, I think, four or five additional mobile suits that you can unlock um and you can unlock them with either um uc coins which are um uh or ec coins which are like the paid currency or with um the other currency which is like an in-game you can generate it from doing challenges and completing the battle pass um but with the in-game i I did the math on the in-game um currency and if you're talking just the battle pass for this uh, season, you will unlock enough coins to unlock one mobile suit. Now, if you there is also a set of like beginners missions, right? 
where um, basically it's a bunch of challenges to get you acclimized, uh, acclimated to the game, right? And it takes about two weeks, two and a half weeks for you to run through the whole thing. And through the end of it, I think you get enough currency to unlock one more mobile suit. But then that's it. Because there's no other way to unlock the mobile suits than that currency. And when the battle pass, when you're done with the battle pass, when you max out the levels, nothing you can do until the next season. Um, now, if you buy the battle pass, right, which is $10 standard price for a battle pass free to play game, um, sure. you will throughout the um, throughout the course of the battle pass earn enough of the paid currency to either buy the next season when it comes out or you can use it to buy one more uh, mobile suit. Um, so even if you buy the battle pass and you max out all the missions and you complete the battle pass, you will still not have, be able to unlock all of the, the mobile suits without spending money. Now, theoretically, you know, next battle pass comes around, maybe you'll unlock, be able to unlock one more, but who's to say they won't add another locked one with the new, uh, update, you know? Um, so yeah, it's basically, you'll never be able to have all of the mobile suits that are out at one given time yeah for the 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 tldr is that at some point if you want to unlock all of the mobile suits which again it's not pay to win necessarily you can definitely do really good with the like none of the mobile suits that are 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 locked are like um like broken or op or anything um but it's still like if you wanted to have access to every mobile suit in the game at some point you will have to buy one of them um yeah yeah and it's again, it's not like it's not a ton of money. It's ten dollars to unlock, um, but like still, like you know, it kind of sucks a little bit. And then also, there's the skins, which to get like <laughs> to get the skins is a nightmare because the uh, the percentages on the gotcha the skins component are really dope though. Those skins are really good, but the percentages on those rolls are fucking rough. Like we're talking like for some of the best skins, less than a one percent chance to get it. Um, and oh, that's totally achievable. Yeah, and 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 it's tough because like you don't <laughs> again if you don't pay because because you know there are separate rolls you can do like if you use the paid coins you roll on one table or if you use the tickets that you oh. unlock through the battle pass it rolls on a different table and again you can get the good skins on the on the table for the non you know for the in game currency uh, tickets. But there's only so many tickets you get throughout the battle pass. And then once you're out, you, there's no way to get more. You don't just generate them, um, you know, through through normal play. You only get them through the battle pass. Um, yeah, I don't, like, it's, okay, cosmetics <laughs> is one thing. Having the actual, like, mobile suits that have different battle abilities and, like, things under a paywall, that's where I think it becomes an issue. Whenever it can change the course of how you play versus just cosmetics. That's, that's where I find an issue. Well, again, like I said, it's, it's not, it's tough because it's definitely not pay to win because none of, because first of all, the best mobile suit in the game, which was, is completely OP. Um, if you play it right, um, is the Barbatos and that one's free. Um, but like, you know, like a skilled pilot with the Barbatos can just steamroll the entire other team. But it is annoying that, like, my, my thing of it is, like, okay, so it's not pay to win. It's not, like, you know, it's not really affecting how you can, you like, you can still win the game without these mobile suits. 
Um, but it's just, you know, it, it, they're, they're the, what's supposed to draw people to the game. Even if it was incredibly difficult, there should still be a way to unlock them, um, yeah. you know, through normal play without having to rely on the battle pass. Like, you know, maybe, maybe every, you know, if you, if you, the level cap is 50, right? So let's say you max out level 50 as a way to prestige, quote unquote, um, Maybe when you re- you reset your level back down to one and you get to unlock one of the mobile suits, you know. Um, but you know, what do I know? I'm just a, I'm just a, a humble podcaster. Yeah, what here. do you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's my thoughts on Gundam Evolution. Overall, still really enjoyable. It's uh, I'm having a good time playing it. All of the modes are um, objective based, so it's not like. Uh, there is no like team deathmatch or anything like that. It's it's all like uh, they have a domination mode, um, they have a destruction mode where like you have one team has to defend and the other team has to like destroy a, a target, um, and they have like a like a uh, what do you call it like a capture the point mode kind of deal. Um, the gameplay is, is a- there a free for all mode? No. <laughs> Um, oh, but that's so popular these days. <laughs> um, well, yeah, it's not there. Uh, basically, the, if you've ever played, apparently the, the gameplay is very similar to Overwatch, which I have never played. Um, but if that's something you're familiar with, then, you know, there's your reference. Um, but that's it for Gundam Evolution. Um, you know, overall, I recommend playing it. If you want to play with me, find me on, the, on there. My username is Marcel underscore D-E underscore champ. That's my username for everything. Um, so send me a friend request and we'll play. But, uh, the last Gundam thing that I want to talk about is like the elephant in the room right now. Uh, and that is the witch for Mercury, which is out right now. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, I've watched the first two episodes so far. Um, and I am blown away. It's a really, really good show. Um, we've got the female protagonist, which a lot of people are pissed about, obviously because they're shitty, um, oh and my god! Of course, Sh- shut up. <laughs> but, um, but not. But not only that. It's also, you know, uh, possibly there is a there's a, a, a re- reactivation of Yuri Watch 2022, um, which would if I had a Yuri Gundam show, I would lose my fucking mind. Um, I mean, you might. It's looking. <laughs> looks promising it it does look promising on that front without giving too much away there um but yeah the show is really good the animation quality is top notch um you know this is everything you want from a from a from a brand new gundam show it's doing something that gundam's never done before in more ways than one it's not just the fact that there's a female protagonist but also it's set in like a kind of a school environment. It's it's you got that I kind love of it. <laughs> that school based shonen that you don't really have uh, in Gundam before this. Um, but that just even though it's it's set that way, that doesn't mean that the stakes are low. The stakes are still very high. There's a lot of corporate intrigue going on. Um, you know, there's it a mystery story me, in the background. It reminds me of. Um... The last Fire Emblem game, uh, Three Houses, uh-huh. because that also had this weird, like, in between combat, like, missions, had this, like, high school uh, setting to it all. Mm. But there was also this, like, bigger, you know, world, you know, ending thing going on in the background outside of the school environment. But it, it seems as though they're going to do something kind of similar with this show. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this show, I think it's doing really good things for the Gundam franchise. First of all, some of the mobile suit designs are really, really good. 
Um, and I'm really excited for the kits. Like, I honestly, when I first saw the aerial, I was unimpressed. I won't lie. Um, but having seen it on the screen and seen the things that it does um, and, like, really had some time to kind of get to know it, I really like it. And there are other mobile suits in the game, uh, in the show, too, um, that are looking really cool um, that I'm looking forward to building, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of which, um, one thing that I didn't talk about at uh, Comic-Con and at the Gundam base was they had those kits mm -hmm. there, and they look really cool. Like, the grunt suit looks really good. Yeah, um, it's got that nice, chunky upper body. Yep, both the Ariel and the Lefrith look good. Um, the the guy that she fights in the first episode yep um his suit is there and it's like really like chunky and looks like a rhino almost yep. like a, it's got kind that of big like horn. rhino mixed with a knight um it the the kits look really really good yeah they do um i, I like how the lefrith also has a bunch of different variations which we're gonna get to um a bunch of them are gonna be p bandai of course but like still kind of excited about that um yeah but also, like, the other things that I think it's doing good for the show is that, you know, this is something Best Boy Dan is going to talk about in a little bit. But, um, you know, there, there are people who have been involved with the Gundam franchise who have wanted to have female protagonists for a long time and were had been told no. You know, and the yeah. fact that this is now something that we can have, um, it, it shows growth for the franchise. It means that the franchise isn't just locked in the mindset of, you know, the 80s, the 70s. Um, the, it has the ability to grow with its audience and with the times, and I think that's important. Um, and speaking of time... Um, well, we, and it wants to grow who its audience is. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, you know, there are, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of of people who just, you know, would they, they had no interest in Gundam because it's like a, a, a boys club, for lack of a better term. Which, you know. Uh, you know what was interesting is I, I did take note when we were in line um, for Gundam Base to check out. Um, there were surprisingly more women than I expected there. Yeah. Um, so I think that there is actually like starting to be a pretty burgeoningly large population of, you know, female Gundam and Gunpla enthusiasts. And I think this is really could not have come at a better time, except for maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the only better time it could have ago. had is earlier than now. Um, but I'm happy it is happening. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, as far as good news for the series is concerned, um, they have already announced the uh, that it's going to air part two um, in April 2023. Um, so we have that to look forward to. We're not going to have to like wait for it to end and then be stuck in a holding pattern trying to find out when it's going to show. We already know part two is happening and we know when it's coming. Um, so that's really good. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. And, you know, that's uh, we're going to talk more about Witch of Mercury in our, um, you know, in our fall 2022 What to Watch guide, which will be the next episode after this one. Um, so we're going to leave it there for now. Um, yeah. And I think that's a good place for us to kind of cut it off with our banter and check in with Studio WEB for some anime news. That's right, best buds. We have more news than you can stuff into some pasta dishes. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so on the kind of note of Witch from Mercury, uh, after the first episode premiered on Sunday, October 2nd, uh, manga artist 
uh, Koichi Tokita of Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, Mobile Fighter G Gundam, Mobile Suit Gundam Seed Astray, was among the fans, to, uh, first fans to sing its praises. Not only did he call it a blessing to see a couple established in the first episode, which also lends credence to the whole Yuri watch mm-hmm. uh, thing. Um, episode two gives was, stronger evidence, just just for you. Yes. You watch that. <laughs> uh, he was also delighted to see a Gundam anime with a female protag- prag- protagonist. Uh, recalling an earlier time when prejudice prevented it from happening. Quote, A long time ago I supported a female Gundam protagonist, but I was told that Gumpa belonging to a female character wouldn't sell. He remarked on Twitter, Now we live in an age where we can have a female protagonist and she has a plastic model tool. Uh, Two, I think it's great and I am so happy. Yeah, and I think, so, like, I, like I said, that's that's good. Like that, I'm glad that that's the case. You know? Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's sad that there was a time where there were people saying, preventing artists from expressing themselves this way, so yeah, and I'm happy it's happening now, and I'm sad that it wasn't before and that people actively stopped it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like I said, there are still people complaining about it, obviously, because they are shitty and they suck. But like but again, the, shut up. <laughs> the, but like, like I was gonna say, the good news is, is that point of view is dying out. As loud and annoying as they are on the internet, um, the the fact that this show is it has been made and is do is successful enough that they have already announced, you know, part two shows that you know that that kind of set those kind of values that set of opinions they're dying out. Uh, and I say good riddance. You know, agreed, hundred percent. Um. My next story, uh, I actually think, is super sweet. So, George Morikawa, uh, author of the acclaimed and best boy's favorite uh, manga, Hajime no Ippo, recently put out a thread on his official Twitter account saying that after almost 40 years uh, of making his debut as a manga artist, he still doesn't know how to draw manga. In his tweet, he wrote... There was an event that reminded me of my own rookie days. It has been almost 40 years since I made my debut, but since I don't know how to, uh, but still I don't know how to draw manga. I write this in a hope that it will reach all of you newcomers. It is okay to make mistakes. I am only accumulating 40 years of reflection. All you have to do is draw and draw and reflect. Manga is not something that will be learned in one or two lifetimes. We live to lose. It's okay to lose. It's okay to fail. Draw more and more without fear. Draw a lot of pictures while reflecting in a lot, <laughs> reflecting a lot in order to earn uh, the comment interesting. Please expose yourself to the public as much as you can. I think he means by art. Um, there is no need for regret. All you need uh, is reflection and enjoyable study. Good luck. Um, I think this is uh, a wonderful thing to tell people. And and I know as having done art uh, in a previous life that it is incredibly easy to be hard on yourself and look at other people and be like, well, my work is not as good as theirs or it will never be as good as theirs or I just don't have that talent or things like that. And then you look at like someone who made arguably one of my favorite anime of all time, Hajime no Ippo. And he's like, I don't know how to 
do what I'm doing. I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> and he's just like been doing this for 40 years and still feels that way. So, you know, I think it's a great message that it is important to know that you will never reach perfection, but that you just have to keep working and keep getting better and keep learning from the past. And I think that's a wonderful message for everyone to take away. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the, the you know, the number one thing that separates a master from an amateur is that the master knows that they always have to keep learning, you know? Um, the, the end goal, there the, the end goal is never that you're good enough. You always, you know, have to try to get better. That's how you continue to improve. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> I just wanted to leave everyone with that really lovely story before I dove into the crime news. Oh. Alright. Are you ready, Best Boy Justin? I'm ready. I'm so ready. Uh, are you ready, Best Buds? You're not. Because guess what? I got a story for you. Alright, so... Manga artist Chike Ide, who is known as the Queen of Ladies Comics uh, for authoring multiple works targeted towards women in her career, recently revealed that her new work, Poison Love, which follows a love-struck woman who is scanned out of scammed out of seven hundred or seven oh, seventy-five million yen in the pretext of international romance, is based on her true story. <laughs> Ide, 74, said that the protagonists of her story are herself and a man she believed was Mark Ruffalo, the popular actor known for his role as Bruce Banner in the Avengers film. The scammer came into touch with Ide in 2018 when he reached out to her on Facebook claiming to be Ruffalo. The message was written in English. Though suspicious about the person's identity at first, the author responded using the translation function in her personal computer and ended up being flattered by the praise that this fake Ruffalo subsequently directed at her. Ide was 70 at the time. <laughs> when Ide opened up about her past, including her tumultuous marriage at 30 to a man who was not just debaucherous but also violent, the scammer sympathized with her and told her that he would never make her feel sad again. In this period, the English writing skills of this fake Ruffalo, who is listed as born in the U.S. state of Wisconsin, Wisconsin was questioned by the author's friend in the United States. Despite the misgiving, she agreed to have a video call with the scammer, and all her doubts were assuaged in this 30-second interaction, where he successfully managed to hoodwink Ide by using deepfake technology. Oh, God. Yeah. Wild. He tricked this 70-something-year-old woman, like, over the internet, and then, like, her American friends, like, hey... This English is a little weird. I, this might not be Mark Ruffalo. And she's like, all right, mm. let's see a video of you. And he, like, deep faked her. Mm -hmm. That's scary. Yeah. After that, she said, I'm sure it was Mark himself who was behind the screen chatting me. Uh, he added that her feelings towards the man only intensified after this incident. 
In September of 2018, they got married unofficially online. Ruffalo had previously mentioned that he was in negotiations to divorce his wife. However, once they got together, the scammers started asking for money multiple times under various guises, including missing a flight, $1,100, having trouble cashing his performance fee, $4,000, and even injuring his leg, $3,000. She wired him a total of 75 million yen, or about a half a million dollars, uh, over the period of three and a half years, including 10 million yen in one particular month. She exhausted her savings, sold her jewelry, auctioned her original drawings, and even delayed paying her assistant and house bills to comply with her new husband's request. She also took money from her eldest son's savings and used up most of the money she earned from the 35 million yen contract she had with luxury fashion brand Gucci at the time. The scammer even claimed to have leukemia and attempts to extort more money from her. Though Edie was pretty convinced she was going through tests that she must pass for the future with her lover. Her daughter found the whole affair fishy after stumbling upon a distriant warrant sent by a housing loan company to the manga artist's home. When she intervened, uh, she intervened when she realized what was going on and gave an ultimatum to the E-Day, lending 200,000 yen to the artist and asking her to get it back from her husband. However, they did not receive a single penny of the amount, and that was when Ide's children took control of the situation and helped her escape the clutches of the scammer, with whom she was deeply involved. She made a rough outline of the money that she had wired to the scammer and handed it over to a nearby police station in June of 2021. Along with the uh, black notes the scammer had given her during this period, claiming to be his hidden fortune. Ide hadn't uh, met the husband of hers even once during the entire period. She wrote the new novel, Poison Love, as a fictional account of her ordeal in the hopes that people took it as a lesson. It was such a stupid experience, Ide said, but I hope people take it as a lesson. I apologize to my friends and acquaintances who lent me the money uh, while I refused to listen to them, and I swear I will continue drawing manga until I die to pay them back. Wow. Wild. That is insane. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so uh, just be careful out there. Mark Ruffalo is not looking for love. Yeah, Mark Ruffalo is, he's good. He's, he's good. <laughs> um, this is crazy. Like, oh man, like you hear about catfish stories all the time, but oof, like $500,000? Like, geez. Yeah, and it's wild because like she is a, you know, prominent manga artist and you know just especially the elderly these sorts of things can just get by them Mm -hmm. so you know watch your grandparents out there kids yeah i mean especially if your grandma says that she's dating mark ruffalo (laughs) especially if your grandmother's like hey hey uh booby guess what Granny's dating an Avenger. <laughs> yeah, it's time, time, time to intervene, folks. Um, but yeah, that is that is really wild. Thank you for for bringing that one to us, Best Boy Dan. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> um, so let's move into what has become a new section in our news uh, oh. story, which is our releases and updates. Uh, before I get yes. into my news. Who might? Um, and we've got four for you today. Um, 
So uh, the first one, Diligent Best Buds will remember our very first installment of Anime is Art was an episode dedicated to Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. Um, we've got another episode of Anime is Art in the Pipeline, so hopefully stay tuned for that pretty soon. Um, but along those lines, a new anime project for the light novel franchise has just been announced. Um, they haven't confirmed whether it'll be a TV anime like the first season or a film like its sequel, but it has been confirmed that it will be an adaptation of the eighth and ninth volumes of the light novel. Um, so what does that mean for, for you guys? Um, that basically means that if you want to stay in the loop of the story, you will have to watch the movie. Uh, Rascal does not dream of a dreaming girl, uh, sometime before the new project comes out because it is Canon. It is a part of the story. Um, so you can currently and then what? also make sure to, uh, listen to our podcast about it. Absolutely. Um, so uh, currently you can stream the TV series on Crunchyroll and Netflix. However, the movie is not available for streaming at the moment as far as I can tell. Um, you can buy the Blu-ray for sure. Uh, it is out and you can possibly buy it on Apple TV. I wasn't able to confirm that part. Um, I would imagine if they do put out this as, you know, whatever platform they do put out, I imagine it would probably come out on Crunchyroll. Um they will probably also release the movie as well. Kind of like what they did with uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train. Because it's a part of the story when the new season came out. They did like a short run before that to uh, to let yeah. people catch up. Um, but if you wanted to see it right now, those are your options. Um, moving on, we have, uh, we've already talked on the pod about Lum's return to the screen for Urusei Yatsuda Ooh. remake. Uh, which is premiering October 13th. Um, but we've got some more news for you regarding where you'll be able to stream it. Um, Urusei Yatsura and its six-month run will be streaming on High Dive. Um, and I'm honestly pretty surprised by this. I kind of just... That's a big get. Yeah, I kind of just assumed that this one was going to go to Crunchyroll, like, without even really thinking about it. But, like, yeah, yeah. this is a huge get for High Dive. Um, Hopefully they fix the app before that. <laughs> honestly, I, I, I hate to say it to you, Dan it's only Apple products that have the problem because I have not had a single problem with it on. And, and that is a problem for me, but that's also a problem for them. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but on my end, I'm, I'm Gucci because on, on yeah. PC and on Roku and on, um, on Android, it all works just fine. So whatever the problem is on Apple, they got to fix it. It still doesn't have offlining, which is super important to me. Yeah. Um, um, and then also fresh off the heels of best boy, Justin's summer of Shonen, the official website for black cover anime has announced that the franchise's upcoming film titled black clover, a sword of the wizard King. The film will debut in Japanese theater and worldwide on Netflix on March 31st, 2023. That's pretty interesting that it's going to debut worldwide on Netflix. Yeah, I was very surprised about that um, because, you know, they, they're going to do like a theatrical release in Japan and then a Netflix release worldwide simultaneously, um, which you don't see very often. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see how that affects it at the box office. Absolutely. So keep your eyes peeled. Yeah. And then uh, finally, in release news, we have word that uh, Sasaki and Miyano anime film with the Japanese release date of February 17th. No world word on when it will be available worldwide. Uh, but if you are craving some more super cute BL goodness, rest assured more is on its way. 
Yep, that's right. Um, that uh, was a really cute show. Uh, I'm excited for the movie. Um, so keep your eyes peeled. Um, and uh, now we're going to move on to... I s- hate that phrase so much. Eyes peeled. Dan, peel your eyes. It's like it's just such a disgusting image. Peel your eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so moving back into the news portion of the uh, of the anime news section, um, we've got uh, as you know, we we only cover the most important and impactful news so in anime on the you best got boys. This story over to me, I love. Day is no so different. <laughs> that being said, uh, it's time to talk about KFC Spain's Twitter account. Um, so some of you might remember way back in episode 14 when we talked about KFC Spain's Twitter tweeting a picture of Colonel Sanders with Chica from Kaguya-sama Love is War uh, wearing cat ears. Well, they've done it again with the account tweeting a black and white photo of the good colonel alongside Asuka from Evangelion. Um, the tweet was captioned with the phrase Feliz Juves, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, um, which is Spanish for... Hueves. Hueves, Sure which is Spanish for Happy Thursday. Um, This is a nod to a popular Spanish-language meme, which involves an image of Asuka running towards the viewer and wishing them a Happy Thursday. Um, (laughs) That seems like a fun meme. Yeah, so, you know, whoever's in charge of KFC Spain's Twitter, they know what's up, and they should get a raise. Oh my god, I, I love this story so much. I love that KFC is just like embracing these black and white photos of the colonel with anime girls yeah i I remember so after after the the chica thing went viral last time around um the uh, official twitter account for kaguya-sama tweeted out a picture at them of like uh, a plastic figure of chica next to a, a box of kfc um so I wonder. I wonder if the Evangelion Twitter account will do something similar. I checked when I, you know, when I wrote this story out, um, and I didn't see anything yet. But hopefully, they will. Uh, they'll share some love back towards KFC Spain. Um, yeah, and I'm. Who do you? Th- who do you think the next um, anime oh, girl? This oh, this will be collab fun. with his. Okay, all right. Let's let's <laughs> let's do this. We're doing this now. Um, also, best buds, you can chime in too. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram and let us know what you think. You'll get the socials in a minute. Um, okay, who do we think? So they did. So it's interesting. They went back in time. Um, yeah. Oh, so man. the question is: Are they going to go further back or are they going to go forward? Because if they're going to go further back, my answer would be Lum because it's a tie-in to what's going on in anime Ooh. now, but also That's in the past. Uh huh. Um. Let's see, but uh, you know what? You know what I honestly think. I think if I had to choose, the next one is going to be Anya. Ooh, that's good. Okay, yeah. What are your What are your choices? I mean, I could see, um, I could see it being Marin. Um, just oh yeah, think, yeah. That could, that's a good one. I could see that, like, just you know, kind of breaking the internet. Um, but like, I think if you're going kind of like old school, I think the easiest one is Aaron Sama from, uh, Food Wars. Um, the like main, yeah, like girl from that or, yeah. or Meat Meat from Food meat, Wars yeah. would also be pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I think if Food Wars were still airing, that would be an easy tie in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye out on that. We'll, we'll call it KFC Watch. 
Um, and Best Buds, let us know what you think. Uh, who is going to be oh. the next <laughs> KFC Spain poster girl? You know what would be a really good one? Uh, I just read this manga. Speedwagon from JoJo. Um, yeah, speed. Oh, <laughs> okay. Never mind. I had a whole thing I was gonna say, but you just you won. The end. <laughs> I, I'm not even into JoJo's, but like, me neither. I, but that would be funny. I respect that meme so much. So there you go. That that would be the <laughs> the, end. the funniest thing that they could do. Like if they did yes. that, <laughs> they win the internet. Yes, absolutely. Uh huh. Moving on in anime news, um, Anime NYC has announced some very special guests for their upcoming convention, uh, November 18th through the 20th. Um, Staff from none other than the illustrious Studio Trigger will be coming to Anime NYC this year, hot on the heels of the electrifying Netflix release of Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Um, Studio Trigger's Anime NYC guests include uh, acclaimed animator uh, Sushio, who was involved in Die Buster, Gurren Lagann, and Penny and Stocking with Garter Belt as a and also as a character designer for Kill la Kill. Um, designer Shigeto Koyama from Gurren Lagann, Rebuild of Evangelion, Kill la Kill, and also worked on Academy Award-winning Big Hero 6. Um, and the uh, in- creative director and music producer Hiromi Wakabayashi, who worked on Kill la Kill, Space Patrol, Luluko, and Promare. Um, the trio will host a screening of Promare on Friday evening, as well as a panel about the company's current and future projects. They will also be available on the expo floor for autographs. And speaking of illustrious Anime NYC guests, uh, Anime NYC has been kind enough to extend press passes to the Best Boys again this year, which means we will be back. Um, keep an eye on our Instagram for posts and live stories during the convention, uh, as well as a podcast episode that will be released following the end of that convention. And if you're planning on going, send us a DM if you want to meet up and nerd out. Hit us up. Hit us up. Um, super excited for Anime NYC. Can't wait. Been looking forward to it all year. Um, and I'm super excited to see Studio Trigger there. Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool. I don't know what. Uh, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to go. Edge to Runners the... was great. <laughs> oh yeah, Edge Runners. Yeah, I still have to finish it, but it so far is really good. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll go to the Promare screening, but uh, I will definitely try to go to their um, panel uh, whenever they schedule that. Um, but uh, you know, before we close out our section of anime news, I know. Um, you're all wondering, uh, what happened with last week's or last episode's, uh, installment of crime news. So we've got one more crime news segment for you. It's double the crime news. That's right. Best buds. We've got a crime news follow up mostly because I know how much best boy Dan loves our crime news audio theme. Let's listen to it one more time. Uh, today's news comes to us from the Mainichi Shimbun newspaper in Japan, which has announced that the embattled chairman of Kadokawa, 79-year-old Sugihiko Kadokawa, intends to resign from the company amidst a bribery scandal that we covered in our previous edition of Anime News. Um, the company has not officially confirmed this latest development, but they have released a statement that reads, We take this matter very seriously and deeply apologize to all those concerned, including our readers, customers, authors, creators, business partners, shareholders, and investors, for the considerable inconvenience this matter has caused. For those who need a refresher, Sugihiko Kadokawa is accused of paying around 69 million yen, nice, 
um, nice. which is about uh, $480,000 US uh, to a consultant for the Tokyo 2020 Summer Olympics in order to secure their sponsorship for the Games. Um, Kadokawa did end up becoming an official supporter of the Games, publishing the official programs and results books. Um, so yeah, it looks like uh, things are getting pretty serious for uh, Sugihiko Kadokawa over there. Um, especially when you consider the fact that everyone else involved in the situation has admitted that their payments were bribes, and he is apparently <laughs> the only one who paid them on purpose by accident. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, sounds like a likely story there, bud. I believe you, bud. Absolutely. But we'll be keeping an eye on this story moving forward because Kadokawa is a giant in the anime and manga communities. Like... If you've read or watched, if you've read manga or watched anime for any stretch of time, um, you've read or seen something by Kadokawa. It's impossible yeah, for you or not that to they have some financial investment in. Yeah, they 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 are like they're like the kind of like the apple of the anime and manga world. Like they're involved somewhere somehow. Um, yeah, it's wild. But yeah, so you know, with that being said, it's time for us to wrap up our anime news segment. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, what do you think that the next, uh, KFC Spain poster girl is going to be? Um, it's, we already know it's going to be either Anya or Speedwagon, but we'd love to hear your opinions too. Um, you know, let us know if you're going to be at Anime NYC. We'd be excited to meet up with you. You can hit us up at the, on Twitter and Instagram at bestboys underscore pod, or you can send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. And with that being said... I think it's time for us to dive on into another installment of the Meat and Potatoes for this week's episode. School. Councils. It's back to school-ish season, best buds, and with our return (laughs) to the hallowed halls of knowledge... We must pledge our unwavering fealty to the supreme authority of the education system. I'm talking, of course, about the student council. On today's episode, we're going to talk all about the trope of the all-powerful school council in anime. If you've watched shows like Food Wars, Kill a Kill, or Love is War, you're definitely familiar with this phenomenon. But if you're new to anime, don't worry. We're going to break it down for you, and we're going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Are you ready, Best Boy Dan? I was born ready. He, he was born ready. I was not. I've never been ready, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, now, if we're going to talk about student councils in anime, we should definitely take some time to discuss how the education system in Japan works. Um, but before that, yeah, let's take a moment to address the elephant in the room. As you may or may not know, I, Best Boy Justin, did not in fact go to school in Japan. I went to school in Long Island, New York, which is basically the same thing, but with more opiates. Um, <laughs> I went to school in Arizona, which is the same thing with scorpions. The same thing with opiates and scorpions. That's going to be the name of my new punk band. Um, but uh, joking aside, this is not going to be me relaying a firsthand experience to you. Uh, I will be basing this section on based on what I've read on the internet over the years, learning about Japanese culture, uh, and discussions that I've had with people who did actually go to school in Japan. Um, so take that for what it's worth with a grain, enormous grain of salt. Um, but uh, moving on to uh, kind of the a little bit of the history of, of uh, education in Japan. Formal education in Japan dates back to the 6th century AD, 
um, and is largely unrecognizable compared to the education systems we're familiar with today. Uh, initially, schooling was limited to training for future officials in the imperial bureaucracy, um, which was kind of a, a system that they brought over from China. Basically, during this time period in Japan, um, Japan's whole huge thing was they want to do the things that China's doing. Um, shortly thereafter, however, the rise of an influential military class put the influence of scholars on the back burner and uh, Buddhist monasteries became the most influential centers of learning. Now, these temple schools educated the nobility, of course, uh, but also commoners in many cases. Um, by the end of the Edo period, it's estimated that roughly 50% of men and 20% of women had achieved some degree of literacy. Um, this means that the literacy rates among men were fairly close to on par with the rest of the world during this time period, uh, while the literacy of women lagged behind many other countries in the world. Um, this state kind of uh, this state of affairs basically continued unchanged until the Meiji Restoration, um, and is you know kind of fairly. Uh, it, it, it's what you would expect of Japan during this time period. Again, a, a, an incredibly patriarchal society. Um, you would you would expect this kind of breakdown for literacy uh, between men and women. Not that it's a good thing. Uh, not that it's okay. But it's what it's what uh, it's what you would expect That's for this time history. period. That's history. That's history, folks. Um, that's baseball, Susan. Anyway. Um, there were some other facets to education in Japan, um, such as the Dutch studies and samurai schools, but they're not really relevant to our discussion today, so we're going to leave them for another time. Although the history That is a whole other wild story. <laughs> yeah, although the, the history of Dutch studies is really cool, and one of these days when we do a Roroni Kenshin episode, or an episode about... Um, oh, what's that other show? Samurai Shampoo? We'll talk about it, because it comes up in those shows. Um... But with the Meiji Restoration of 1868 came extensive reforms to the previously very informal education system in Japan. Uh, methods and structures of Western education systems were adopted in the hopes of developing Japan into a strong uh, modern nation, quote-unquote. Um, in 1871, elementary school education became mandatory and was intended to create loyal subjects to the emperor. By 1907, uh, compulsory education had extended to six years. However, with the increased governmental mandates on education in Japan came an increase in militarism in the classroom. Uh, students began wearing uniforms fashioned after Western military uniforms. Um, this is where we get the Gakuran, which literally translates to Western-style clothes for students um, that many school, uh, middle school boys still wear in Japan, actually. Um, I'm this picturing, is, like, uh, Yusuke Urameshi's outfit from Yu Yu Hakusho. I think that is a, um, a Gakuran. Let me look at it real quick. Yes, that is a that is what a Gakuran is. Um, it's that kind of high-collared, button-up, um, generally black uh, it, jacket. It makes so much sense now that you mentioned that that is, like inspiration from like military like western military guard it is uh, like i can totally see that now it absolutely is and and i will never unsee that and what's interesting too is that it also reflects what the military in um japan was wearing at the time too because again at this time japan was trying to quote-unquote modernize and what they were trying to do was they were trying to emulate a lot of the big imperial western nations um, and this is the kind of the kind of attire that their military would have been wearing at the time. High ne high necked collars were very common for military men. 
Um, again, the shiny button-down fronts with the pockets. Um, this is, you know, very indicative of what the style was at the time, and it continues to this day. Um, but what also a lot of people might not realize is that um, the iconic uh, sailor uniform that anime uh, fans are so familiar with, this is also, again, obviously it's fashioned on a sailor outfit, but it is specifically um, patterned after the British military's um, uniform for females in the Navy. Um, They're just like, oh my god, you're so fabulous! Yeah, well, like, basically, the headmaster of a school, I don't remember which because I'm a hack and a fraud, but the headmaster of a girls' school in Japan um, had done their, you know, a lot of their education in Tokyo, uh, in uh, in Europe, again, which was very common for this time period. Japan was sending a lot of its people um, to abroad to learn, you know, in, in schools overseas, uh, to kind of bring that knowledge back. And the thing that she brought back was this kind of the sailor uniform for girls. Um, and it obviously spread like wildfire. And it is very common um, in students today. It is pretty common in the middle school level. Um, generally, uh, high school level students these days typically wear like the kind of blazer um, and like plaid fashion skirts. Um and it, 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 it's more uh, indicative of like a Catholic school type of dress that they that they kind of are seeking to emulate. Um, uh, but for but even even in a uh, like anime and manga sense, like it's still prominent. You have Sailor Moon. Yeah. You have, oh yeah. You know Akiba's sailor uniform. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not to say it, 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 it is still it is still you do still see it. You know in Japan. Um, like I said, mostly at the middle school level, but you will still see high schools that have like sailor uniforms and gakuran um, as their their uh, uniform of choice. Um, it's just less common now uh, than it used to be. Um, but uh, moving moving on, picking back up, uh, it wasn't just the fashion that became militarized. The cu- curriculum also followed suit. Um, the Imperial Rescript to Soldiers and Sailors became mandatory reading for students during this time period, as the goal of education became increasingly the preparation of young men for service in the Imperial military, and children in general as loyal and productive sub- uh, subjects of the Empire. Um, because for those, for those of you who aren't familiar with, like, Japanese history, the Meiji Restoration, the whole, like, when we talk about the, the phrase restoration, what we mean is, um... A, a return to the worship of the em- uh, the emperor, whereas previously all of the power in Japan was centralized in the shogunate. Um, with the Meiji Restoration, the shogunate is is gone, um, and it is all the the emperor has all the power, um, and that is why we see this kind of indoctrination becoming more important. Um, where you know they are the the, the idea of a, a, a subject of the empire of the empire is becoming very important. Um, education during this time period comes in the form largely of indoctrination to the nationalistic ideology of Japan, um, and it would continue to be that way up until the end of World War II. Um, at a certain point, you know, uh, especially boys' schools became basically a pipeline to the military. Um, everybody who was going to school at this point, it, it was it was uh, was intended to go on to to join the military. Um, so it was it, it basically became like a uh, uh, an ROTC program for the entire country. Um, following the end of World War II, 
Japan's education system began to take on a form that is more easily recognizable to what we see today, um, with compulsory education extended to nine years, uh, which is elementary school through junior high, which leads me into a sidebar for this episode, um, because most of our American listeners might actually be surprised to hear this, but yes, school in Japan is only mandatory, or the phrase they use is compulsory, um, through junior high school. This is why you often see like a heavy focus on uh, admissions exams in 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 anime and manga, um, because you're not guaranteed a, high, a spot in high school just because you graduate junior high. It's not how we have it here, where um, I know in my case when I graduated from junior high school, uh, I went to the high school that was literally right next door to the junior high. Like it was it was right there as an established um, uh, link between the two. Um, in Japan, that's not the case. Uh, once you graduate uh, junior high school, you have to take admissions exams. Um, and if you, um, you know, if you if you fail your entrance exams, uh, you don't get to go to high school. You know, like uh, if you don't get into any of the, the high schools that you choose, you don't you don't get to go. Um, and a lot of times what happens, you know, is if if you do fail your entrance exams, you would take them again next year. You would be a grade behind um, because they there are there are no like kind of mid uh, mid school year admissions uh, in this case for something like this. Um, yeah, and I think you get into this in a little bit, but like also high school is is only like three years, right? Yes, so it's basically it's six years of elementary school, three years of junior high, and three years of high school um, is the breakdown. So to me, it seems almost as though like high school kind of is more similar to like kind of a hybrid of like high school and college as we know it. And then like college is kind of more similar to like college slash grad school. Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, it, it, it is still like, when we were talking about like the education levels, they are still on par, um, with what we have in the West. Um, because their 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 undergraduate is definitely very much kind of pegged <clears throat> to the same um, like education level that we have for a gra- for an undergraduate degree here. Um, okay. The major difference being that they don't really have community college. They do have it; it does exist, but it is not like a super like it's fairly common for people to go when they graduate high school to go to a community college before either going to a um, a university later on, which is what I did, or just graduating from community college with an associate's degree. You can do that in Japan. It is not very common. What is more common would be going to a trade school or a vocational school, something along those lines, um, if you weren't going to go to a university. Um, and again, much like the high school, you know, you have to take admissions exams to get into universities and the university admissions exams, especially for the major like um, public universities in uh, in Tokyo uh, and around the country are very, very difficult. Um, <clears throat> it is not uncommon for people to spend two or three years after high school just trying to uh, pass the admissions exams to go to university. Um, there are actually specialized schools. These these students who don't get in um, their first time around, they're referred to as ronin, which is like, you know, the term for a wandering samurai. Um, and they generally will go to cram school throughout that time, um, to, which is like an extra like school that you pay for. I'm, 
Um, I'm getting very, uh, what's it called? Um, Love Hina vibes. Yeah, no, that is exactly, that is, that is one of the, the major motivating factors for that show. Um, and the show that they're, the, the university that they're trying to get into is called Todai, which is the, like the university of Tokyo, which is like the hardest one to get into. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, it's very common for people to have to re, you know, retake these tests a number of times. Um, but also, you know, going back to my little, we had a sidebar to the sidebar, but now going back to the first sidebar, um, <laughs> it is, uh, while it is uncommon for a student to end their studies after junior high, um, it would not be considered altogether unusual. Like, whereas if we, if we had someone who dropped out after middle school here in the U S it would be weird, right? It would be, mm-hmm. it would be a cause for concern. Um, not necessarily so much in Japan, although it would, there would cer- certainly be some social stigma involved. Um, the, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be outlandish, you know, for a student, for a student to just never go to high school. Um, now the, uh, you know, the legal age for employment in Japan is 15. So it is definitely possible for a junior high graduate to enter the workforce. Um, though there are still some restrictions on their employment, uh, up until the age of 18. Um, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon for, you know, someone to drop out and start working, you know? I, I also don't know if this is is just like a me watching anime thing, but I get the impression that it's also more common for people of, you know, 15 to 18 to live on their own without their parents. It is more common than it is here. And part of the reason for that is that, um, again, when we're talking about getting into high schools, uh, if you want to go to the best high schools, you might not necessarily be able to do that while still living where you're from. You know, if, if you're if you're a really smart kid from out in the boonies and you want to get into the best school, you would go to a school in Tokyo. Right. Um, right. But uh, and then you would end up living alone with your two girlfriends. Yeah, of course. And your hot uh, neighbor and your hot landlord. Don't forget. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, if I've learned anything from anime. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not as common as it as it is portrayed to be in anime. But again, it is probably more common than it would be here. Uh, in the u.s um because like you know let's face it if you found out that the fifth like the 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 14 15 year old kid next door was living by themselves you would be you would have some concern you would and you would probably be right to have some concern about that it would explain all the screaming that i'm hearing down the hallway (laughs) Who, who do you live down the hallway from mikazuki do not know. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so that's my little sidebar. I just kind of wanted to talk about that. I, I, I like to, to to give some people some context for why things um, are the way they are in media and the way it ties into Japanese culture. Um, but uh, yeah, so keep that in mind the next time you see a, a, a middle schooler preparing for their entrance exams in an anime. It's a, it is more high stakes than you might think it is in the U.S. It's not like if they fail... They just have to go to their normal, regular school. Um, <clears throat> um, but uh, as far as how the kind of school is structured in Japan today, um, the Japanese school year begins in April. Um, it has a month-ish long break during the summer uh, with slightly shorter breaks in spring and winter. Um, stu- Which make for such good anime episodes. Exactly. I mean, listen, there's your filler content right there, my boy. Um <laughs> But uh, students in public school go to class five days a week, um, though private schools, which are very common at the high school level, way more common than they are here. 
um, there are a lot of private schools in Japan. Um, they uh, they may have classes on Saturdays as well, depending on the school. Um, but uh, even at public schools without Saturday classes, many students participate in school clubs, and those clubs will often have club activities on Saturdays, with some schools uh, having a policy making club participation mandatory for all students. So basically, at these certain schools, a lot of them are private schools, but I think a couple public schools also would have this, uh, this as a rule as well, depending on the prefecture they're in. Um, basically, if you go to school, you have to join some form of club. You have to do some extracurricular activity of some kind. Um, and, um, you know, with a, with a lot of those clubs having activities on Saturdays, that effectively means that even if they're not necessarily in classes, most students in Japan are at least on the campus doing something school-related six days a week. Um so, uh, you know, especially at the high school level. So, like, you know, you always hear, like, oh, like, you know, kids in, in Japan are, are just going to school way more than we are. First of all, the people who say that are probably actually thinking of China, um, where they do have a six-day school week, uh, I, I believe. Um, but, yes, you're right. They, they are – the students are in school more uh, in Japan than they are in the U.S. Um, so, you know, take that for what it's worth. But not the way you necessarily think. Exactly. Um, it's not like they're, they're being like churned out of a system that is like designed to like make them super smart. It's just the, it's just a byproduct of the way, um, Japanese students engage with extracurricular activities uh, most of the time. Um, <clears throat> now our uh, discussion of the clubs, uh, brings us to a very natural and not at all meticulously planned transition to our discussion of student councils. Um, Ooh. yeah, you like that? So what exactly does a school a student council do in Japan? Do they fight evil and maintain strict order? Are they like the unquestioned authority enforcing their will on students and teachers alike with iron-fisted discipline? Do they have the power to expel other students on a whim? Uh, how exactly does the depiction of student councils in anime hold up against reality? Are you ready, Best Boy Dan? Are you ready? I'm psyched. I have high expectations. Okay, cool, because... Uh, it turns out that uh, it doesn't really hold up against the reality very well at all. Um, <laughs> while the student council does have some degree of authority, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so student councils began, they, they, they existed in a, in a way, uh, in a certain form before uh, the end of World War II. Um, but it was a lot different. It was really, it had more to do with like disciplinary stuff. Um, the student council that we kind of see in anime today uh, came about um, after the end of World War II and was designed as a way to prepare students for a life in a democratic society, right? So the emperor uh, is still there but has no power. The empire is gone um, and a, you know, liberal democracy in its place. Um, so, like, all of a sudden, students are living in an entirely different political system than they were, you know, two years ago. Um, so basically, they kind of designed this as a way to prepare students for that. Um, the idea was being to provide students with a degree of autonomy uh, and responsibility in order to train them to run their own society someday. Um, which kind of stands in stark contrast to the militaristic and rigidly structured school system of Imperial Japan, Right. So on the one hand, with Imperial Japan, you have the 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 job of a school being to train loyal subjects to the empire um, and to basically churn out soldiers for the army. 
Um, and then you have this kind of new structure whose job it is to kind of uh, almost train that out of society, right? To kind of make, uh, to, to prepare students to, to live in a society that is uh, more, where they would have a, a, a higher degree of autonomy, right? Um, so uh, if the student council doesn't fight aliens or impose its will on the student population, what exactly do they do? Um, the truth is student councils tend to look more like they do in Haremia or Skip and Loafer than they do in Kill a Kill. Um, activity, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, best boy, Dan. I know you were really excited about that. Um, activities tend to vary from school to school, but, uh, some common ones include the organization and execution of sports festivals and cultural festivals, which interesting, uh, not the organization and execution of dissidents. No. Um, which is interesting <laughs> to me because I actually, you know, I, I kind of came into this research a little bit with my own assumptions in mind. Uh, I was kind of, uh, of the opinion. I thought like, Oh, the sports festival definitely has to be a holdover from, you know, from the Imperial Japanese days where they would train, mm -hmm. they would do like physical training. And that's where that comes from. It's actually not, um, it, it, it basically comes from Japan's participation in the Olympics, um, and they kind of just decided to just have a day where they celebrate sports, um, and yeah. that's what they do. Um, we sports. So it it is. I was fully prepared to come to this with like the sports festival has a dark history that <laughs> with the empire. <laughs> no, it's just a fun, happy sports day, I guess, um, which I'm totally cool with. Um, but they're also involved in the uh, introduction of club activities to new students. Uh, a lot of them write a monthly newsletter. They organize off-campus community service drives. And they greet students at the main gate in the morning. Um, as far as I can tell, student councils in Japan do not have any authority over school rules and operations. Um, in earlier decades, the school council might have been responsible for enforcing things like the dress code um, or other minor disciplinary tasks. This has become very uncommon today. Um, oh, there's no dis disciplinary task force no. in well, schools anymore. That's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that is actually a vestige of the older um, Japanese education system where you, you had a student council and then you also had like a disciplinary council um, who would be responsible for like in they, they again, they wouldn't make the rules, um, but they would would have been responsible for enforcing a lot of them. Right. So whereas it, it is interesting because it informs a lot of anime. Yeah, absolutely. So like, whereas, you know, if you're watching an anime that takes place in a school today, you may have like um, like a, a, a teacher who's at the front gate whose job is to like to be like, hey, you're wearing your uniform wrong or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you're a meshy, grab you by the ear. Exactly. Like, sort of guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, where, whereas back in some of the earlier days in Japanese education, those roles would be fulfilled by other students. Um, not the case anymore. Very uncommon today. Um, the one place that the student council does exercise some degree of authority in certain cases, however is when it comes to budgeting funds to the various school clubs and sports teams. Um, it is common, but by no means universal, for student councils to be involved with, or even in rarer cases, fully responsible for budgeting these funds to other student groups. Um, this is often a motivating event in like Slice of Life or sports anime, where like the, the situation is like a student council member is threatening to close down the club if they don't reach a certain number of active members or achieve some sort of goal 
go to nationals, whatever the case may be. Uh, even in the oh, that's the DIY. That one just had that yeah. exact plot line. Exactly. Yeah, it, it had that. You also had that plot line in uh, when will Ayumu make his move? Because you know the senpai she wants the club to be officially recognized by the school, but they don't have enough members. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a very common trope. It happens a lot. Um, and even <laughs> even in this case, it is kind of exaggerated. Um, how much power that the student council has in in that respect. Um, But the kernel of truth in the trope of the all-powerful student council is definitely in this, uh, lies in this power that they do uh, exercise in some places. Um, And that's, that's all I have for our little, our little breakdown of where the school council and anime comes from. Uh, What do you think, Best Boy Dan? What did you learn today? I, I, well, I, the biggest mind blow was the whole um, whole thing with the uniforms and their origin. Oh yeah, and, like Western military. That's pretty wild. Um, but I also think the you know past disciplinary committees, like that thing, makes sense. And you know, I I suppose from just a creative imaginary standpoint, like if you're just a kid in high school like it's fun to imagine those things that way so i can see why it would show up in anime and in those sorts of forms yeah absolutely Um, but but the basis of it makes a lot of sense and and even just you know when you mentioned the student council like standing out front um greeting everyone i was like absolutely i've seen that in a million anime yeah sure um that yeah it, it kind of it does it, I, one of the, the reasons why i wanted to do this episode and why i was excited to do the research for it is because it, the school council even in and shows where it is not an all-powerful exercise you know of authority um though the school council does figure very heavily in the dynamics of a lot of shows, you know, and I think it's a, it's an, it's an important facet to understand where this comes from, um, you know, and maybe kind of uh, change some of our assumptions about the way school happens and exists in Japan. Um, Cause I know a lot of people kind of sometimes when they watch shows that have school that take place in a school in Japan, they sometimes end up making assumptions about what's going on based on the way schools work here uh, in the West or in the United States. Um, and that's not necessarily the case, um, with the way schooling works in Japan. Yeah. Well, I definitely know I had my own assumptions and, uh, I know some of them were dashed and, you know, that's probably good. <laughs> probably. <laughs> have realistic best. expectations of what schooling in other countries are like. Yeah. Um, sadly, sadly, no robots or like killer outfits. Yeah. Well, you know, we can only, you can only dream, you know, um, that's what anime is for. But, uh, speaking of anime, we, uh, we are going to close out the episode today with another one of our top 10 lists. Um, this week we have the top 10 student councils in anime as usual for all of our lists. They are mathematically backed. Um, they are scientifically correct. Um, so hundred percent. If you disagree with us, you are wrong. Um, That's fine, it's and it's okay, okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. Yeah. Just understand that we are this. This list is objectively correct. <laughs> yes, actually. Um, but yeah, the first one that I wanted to put on this list was Haremia. Um and the reason why I wanted it on the list, I knew it was to tell. The reason why I wanted it on the list was because to me, it is the show that kind of has the most um 
seems like the most realistic portrayal of a school council in in any anime that I've watched so far. Um, whereas is basically like the school council, you know, obviously they they they're setting up the cultural festival and um, you know they do the sports festival, but aside from that, really they kind of just do paperwork. Um, and the the school council room just serves as a uh, a hangout spot for the school council and their friends. Um, and that pretty much kind of seems like it is the most realistic uh, portrayal of a student council in anime to me. Um, so I wanted to make sure it was on the list. But obviously, if we're talking yeah. about the top student councils, it has to be number 10 because it's just a, they don't really do anything, you know? Yeah, I, I feel like our list kind of skews a little bit just in between like good examples and then also just like raw power. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, as we're talking about raw power, it's a good place for us to move into number nine on the list, which I have for Code Geass, um, which if you remember Code Geass, um, at the school that, uh, that he goes to, Lelouch goes to, um, the school council is run by the daughter of, like, the major company executive, right? So, like, her dad's, like, this all-powerful company guy. Um, so basically she has all this power over the school and like she uses it to like do ridiculous things like force like, you know, the the student council to have like uh, events that are just like things that she likes to do, like tea parties and shit. Um, so like you have this idea of a, of a powerful student council, but it is it is powerful because of the um, social connections of the school president's father. Um, so that I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, up next, we have Anna's Council from uh, Shimonetta. Uh, Shimonetta is like this wild comedy where basically sex or any form of thought of it is outlawed and like there's kind of a morality police. Uh, and the student council is basically oh. in charge of making sure that adolescents don't have any thoughts of sex do not even know what sex is uh meanwhile there's like uh these you know terrorists going around showing like videos of flies like repopulating um and confusing the children out there um, Dan, i have a question what is this uh word sex is it like an anime <laughs> yeah. thing or uh yeah don't worry about it okay cool. uh y- you don't need to know yeah um but yeah, so it, it's a, a very funny anime, um, but it, it, the student council is like the morality police in, in this show, so mm-hmm. uh, pretty pretty powerful stuff. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, for number seven, we have the council from uh, Kaguya-sama Love is War. This is like kind of, in my opinion, one of the quintessential ideals of a comedic um student council absolutely anime yeah yeah so i'm i'm happy it's on the list if not just because uh i think it does do a relatively decent portrayal of uh, a lot of their stuff it is a lot of paperwork and i imagine probably a lot of just kind of goofing around with friends because it's high school yeah i mean there Um, there are some like overpowered elements to the kaguya-sama school council but like above all like what they do spend most of their time doing like when you see miyuki san um behind his desk most of the times he's doing paperwork you know yeah <laughs> um 
so and like you know in that show you know they have specific reasons for doing it and it's like it delves into the characters and why they are part of the student council so i think it's actually one of the best looks we get at it in anime yeah and i think that's also that's something i didn't really touch on in my background of school councils and anime um but like yes that is a reason why people would be interested in joining the school council is because it does look good on your resume for when you're applying for college um this is things that some of them that, that the major schools would look at um, cause it's not really like, like, yes, in the U S do they do the, do, does a college look at your extracurriculars depending on the school? Yes. But, um, it is, it, it, they look into it in a, at a, at a detail, um, that is like way different than what we experience here. Unless of course, like if you're, if you're going for like an athletic scholarship, that's a totally different story. But like, um, you know, the, these kind of things do matter, you know, for, for if you're trying to go to university in Japan. Yeah. Um, you want to tell us about uh, number six? Yeah, so number six, we have Verme in Gold. And the reason why I have this one on the list um, is for... I have it on the list for a couple reasons. Number one, obviously, it is a it is an overpowered school council because it has the power to fight, like, demons and shit. Um, and, like, it, it oversees, like, a dueling system similar to what we have uh, for food wars and stuff like that. Um... But also, the reason why I wanted to put it on here was so that I could talk about this one instance that happened in Verme and Gold that I thought was really funny, where, um, you know, basically the main character, Alto, he walks in on the female uh, council members changing in the student council room, right? And, like, so normally... <laughs> what? <laughs> that, Shocker. I can't believe that happened in anime. But here's the thing. Here's where we kind of we, we kind of turn that on its head a little bit. So naturally, you know, one of the girls is upset about this. She's like, she's like, oh my god, I can't believe you walked in on us. That's so just, you're such a pervert. Blah blah blah. And like all of the rest of the girls were like, oh well, you know, we didn't put a sign out front. We forgot to put the sign out. It's kind of our fault. Um, and she's like, what are you like? Are we not gonna punch him into the sky? Like we're 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 not gonna we're not gonna like like scream at him? And they're like, well, you know, it was an accident. It's no, you know, it's, it, these things happen sometimes. We just have to be more careful and lock the door. <laughs> and like, I just I loved how like all everyone is handling it extremely reasonably, except for this one girl who was supposed to like who is basically the standard bearer the for yeah for for how like the situation is normally ha- handled in anime. But like everyone else is handling it like you would in real life. Like, oh, like we like it sucks that like, I, you know, I didn't want him to walk in on us, but like we should have done a better job of like making sure that that couldn't happen. Yeah. Um, so I just Maybe thought that was we funny. should check the locks in the future. Yeah. Also, one of the girls on the student council looks like um, uh, Tanya from Tanya the Evil. And I thought that was cool. She um, does. Yeah. Next one, number five, we're going to have a little bit of a talk. We're going to have a discussion. We're going to have a chat. Okay. Hit me. Yeah. So we have My Hero Academia. Um, we don't really get a school council from them, but we do get the big three. And I saw this on a bunch of other lists of the top student councils in anime. And I thought to myself, like, maybe this would, this would be a, an interesting uh, discussion for us to have. Does the big three count as, like, a student council? You know, or some sort of facsimile of that um, uh, uh, dynamic. What do you think, Best Boy Dan? I I think they are presented in the same sort of power dynamic. Yeah, as student councils tend to be in anime. So 
I, I'd say they count enough, um, but you know, yeah, in the strictest sense, probably not. I, I, yeah, I would be open to the interpretation that they don't belong on this list if you, if that were something you wanted to do. Um, I would say I don't feel strongly enough about it to like, you know, fight to the death. Yeah, I mean, you know, like they they do fulfill some of the roles of a student council. So like like we talked about earlier, one of the roles for the student council is to like introduce students to like their to the clubs. Uh, whereas the big three in this case, we see them introducing students to their work studies. Um, so I think that is is, is a similarity there. Um, they do they're the other thing to keep in mind with the my hero is that it's a different type of school than like yeah. uh, than like your normal school. So like I guess for it's in a, a school, vocational school. Yeah. So like I guess in a school where you're training to be a hero, it would make more sense for there rather to, than there to be like a student council. Than there to be like the top strongest students in the school, right? Um, yeah, the like Justice League of the school. Yeah, so you know, I think I think they belong on the list at least for that. Um, you can argue that maybe they don't belong at number five, but you know, whatever. Yeah, fair enough. Um, number four is Prison School, um, which is another degenerate show. Um, but basically, some uh, boys get in trouble for peeping and are sentenced to corporal punishment by the uh, by the student council. And the fact that the student council has the power to like physically punish uh, these students and actually enact it themselves and uh, like not like light punishment. Like this is definitely like kind of a. a heavy bdsm oh my type anime yeah it's it's a lot this is not an anime for the faint of heart um you know hide hide your wife hide your kids kind of stuff um but yeah it's the corporal punishment that that's enough to give them a spot on this list up high so i was actually i was i was waiting for you to bring this up because i actually had it, it at one point in my high school career I did actually have corporal punishment um, in one of my schooling backgrounds. And that is because when I was in, when I went to school, so my last year in in high school, I moved to Florida um, because reasons. Oh, now it's making sense. Now it's making sense. Yeah, they'll just all beat their kids. No, (laughs) I I was in the the ROTC program in my senior year of high school. um, And they did have corporal punishment kind of. Not like they wouldn't beat you, but like if you screw up in class, they could make you do push-ups. They could make you run laps. Um, you know, things like that. So that is kind of, that is, you know, the kind of corporal punishment. Um, Technically. It is not, you know, the disciplinary committee had, you know, sitting on your face until you pass out. No, no, the the punishment, they was administered by our teachers who were like army, like sergeants, and they were not. They weren't sitting on your head. No, they were not anyone who I would want to sit on my head. Um, we had yeah. Sergeant First Class Hunter, who was an enormous dude who I would never want to sit on my face. Um, so, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> Sergeant. That a sentence you thought you were going to no. be saying when you started this podcast I, I'm, tonight? I'm sorry, Sergeant Hunter, but I'm not into you like that. Speaking of uh, ROTC, uh, up next we have Girls Un Bouncer. Yeah! You want to talk about this one, Best Boy Justice? Yeah, so basically the, the school council in Girls and Ponzer doesn't um, doesn't figure super heavily into the anime. 
Whereas, like, uh, you know, in, in a couple other ones, they're a little bit more common. But they do wield an incredible amount of power. So basically, um, their whole thing is they want to get the main character who doesn't want to be involved in the sport of tankery anymore because of a tragic accident. Um, they're like, hey, listen, you you have to do this or else Your you're expelled. Your tragic tanking accident. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, you have to do this, otherwise you're expelled from this school. Like, the only way you are allowed to attend this school is if you also do tankery. Um, and also, like, the, 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 the reason why I put them at number three is because this is a school council that has the power to buy tanks for a school. So, like... Yours didn't? No, we, uh, like I said, we had an ROTC program, but we did not have tanks. We had a couple... Oh, we had tanks. It was weird. We had a couple air rifles. That was it. Yeah, lots of tanks. Yeah, so that's why I put them in here at number three. Um, you know, after when you get, once you get past the whole extorting the main character to get her to do something that she clearly has <laughs> unresolved trauma with, um, they actually are super helpful with the whole thing. Like anytime they they need something for the tank team, um, they always you know go out and get it for them and make yeah. sure they have all the stuff they need. Um, but yeah, just a school council with, first of all, a school council that is uh, located on a school on an aircraft carrier that has the the power to buy tanks. Like, you can't, you, it's hard to beat that. What a, what a good show. Absolutely. Best Boy Nam, why don't you give us number two? Number two is Food Wars, and the name of the student council was like the Ten or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, like the 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 Elite Ten or something like that. The Elite Ten or something. Um, but like, first of all, this <laughs> this student council basically had power over the course of gourmet food in the world going forward. Yeah, when you break it down to a certain point, they were like they would cultivate the next generation of chefs and determine the course of culinary history um, when used uh, evilly. So uh, I would say pretty powerful. Um, they can just, like, fire the, you know, principal of the school. They can, you know, hire new principals. They can expel students at whim unless... You know, the only thing they're not more powerful than is a, you know, a food war. Yeah. Yeah, the the <laughs> only the, whole... the only way to override the school council is to beat them in a food cooking competition, which I think that should be how we <laughs> settle things in real life. Yeah, I mean that is how the best boys did uh get out of a pact with the devil, so. Yeah. I can make a mean a whole kimchi story. fried rice. Oh my god, that, you know, we were in Georgia, it was a whole thing, yeah. we'll get into it on another podcast. But lastly, we have to tell you about Kill la Kill, the number one student council in anime. Yeah, like this, okay, so for me, this is wild, because there were, I, I, I looked at a couple other lists, you know, of, of student councils just for, for shits and gigs before we put this together, and... um it is wild to me that Kill a Kill is not the number one on every single one of those lists. It, every single one. It's a, it's number one on a lot of them, but there were a couple that put other ones ahead of it, and I'm like, you are objectively wrong. I mean, uh, we didn't even have to discuss this between the two of us to come to this conclusion. Yeah, Kill a Kill is the... if When you're thinking of overpowered school councils in anime, you're thinking of Kill a Kill, whether you know it or not. <laughs> like literally both physically powerful and also like politically socially like 
everything like could literally take over the world and attempt to yeah so like yeah i mean this is not only like is it the origin of the powerful school council anime trope no but like it is all of the modern all of the modern like tropes of this ilk that you see have shades of what's happening in Kill a Kill in them. Like it is, yeah. it is, it is. It's the logical conclusion. <laughs> exactly. It is when you when you take this trope to its extreme, you end up with what we have in Kill a Kill. Yeah, uh, and wonderful. I love Kill a Kill. Yeah. Um, Trigger is just uh, really a masterpiece studio. Absolutely. We're we're we are back. We're we're bringing the circle back around to talk about Studio Trigger again. Yes. Um, which, speaking of which, Best Boy Dan, you have to watch Gurren Lagann still. Yes, and you have to finish Edge Runners. I do have to finish Edge Runners. Um, I was planning to do it this weekend, but then everything that happened this weekend happened. So <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's our top ten list of student councils in anime. Um, let us know what you think. Do you think we got it right? Was there some? Or did you go to school in Japan? Or are there things that I missed that you think I should have talked about? Um, hit us up on our socials. We are on Twitter and Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. Um, you can also send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Um, with that being you. said, you, not, not you, you, you specifically. you. Yeah. If you're, if you're hearing this, I'm talking to you. Um, but yeah, that's it for our episode this week. Thank you for tuning in. Um, and until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>